0: Welcome back to Forgotten Country. I'm your host, Dana Brights. And today we're going to be talking about hijab and politics, especially in context of the Mahsa Amini campaign that started in Iran in September last year and has been ongoing since. As a journalist and an American, this topic is especially important to me and other women, Muslim women like me, who find themselves in the middle of this political turmoil when it has little to nothing to do with us. So let's break it down in this episode of Forgotten Country. If you ask anyone today what the hijab means to them, a lot of people will look at you with disdain because of this holistic and comprehensive attack by the mainstream media, especially in the West, that has taken a very ugly form uh, in attacking uh, the Muslim woman and her veil. I want you guys to look at the Twitter propaganda campaign that occurred within just one or two days after the Mas Amini campaign rolled out. While the number of accounts that tweeted about the topic itself did not exceed 450,000, there were millions of hashtags with the word Masa Amini used in lights and in uh, support of the removal of the hijab, the mandatory hijab dress code. And uh, new bot accounts were created in terms of promoting this propaganda campaign uh, where the accounts didn't have followers. They didn't follow anyone. But this was just to spread this hashtag and make it go viral. So, before we begin talking about all this and breaking it down, we have to question what role social media, as well as mainstream media, play in forming our opinions and thoughts about something like the hijab, and uh, in spreading misinformation. The hijab has always been looked negatively. We know all too well what the war on terror looked like for Muslim women, especially. My hijab was pulled off. I was bullied and attacked in schools as a nine-year-old girl. And uh, it's just gotten worse since, you know, you, you see the attacks on Muslim women who are part of sports and athletic organizations that are sidelined and not allowed to play. You are seeing uh, teachers pull off the hijabs of young girls and tell them that they don't need to dress this way, that they don't need to be oppressed while physically violating them and snatching the hijab off of them the narrative that has taken hold of mainstream media is that if a woman truly wants to achieve success the less she is covered the better off she is so it's interesting that how the media kind of constantly promotes this idea that women should be allowed to choose how to dress up uh, to counter this the the idea of the hijab But when it comes to hijab ban laws in secular countries like France, then the media is very, very silent about these topics. And this shows a great deal of contradiction when it comes to covering uh, issues like the hijab. So let's talk a bit about what the hijab really signifies in Islam and why Muslim women uh, are covering their hair. And this is an apparent form of hijab that we see when we look at Muslim women, but hijab is actually a system by which Muslims, all men and women need to abide by. Um, it signifies dignity uh, and mostly devotion to God. It is an obligatory act and it's completely flabbergasting to me that Muslim women time and time again have to, uh, promote this idea that this is an idea of devotion. Why? We don't need to explain ourselves and our faith to other people, but yet we are asked to constantly defend our choice and our uh, obligation that we do uh, to get closer to God. And uh, in fact, this is something that should be celebrated by society. Uh, And instead it is tarnished, it is dragged, and we constantly find ourselves in the middle of every political battle. The hijab is a form of dress code. It is very much social because it affects a part of society when it comes to dress code. Um, This is why Islamic countries like Iran or even Saudi Arabia uh, choose to uphold these tenets because it is widely known that an Islamic nation that is governed by Islamic principles should be mandating a dress code that abides by Islamic values. If you look at Islamic history, actually, you know, women who have donned the hijab have always been uh, in relation to uh, uh, dignified women and high status women, uh, which means that, you know, hijab has always been a symbol of dignity, of piety and respect, as well as social status in Islam. Um, Women have always been given great importance You know, the Holy Prophet himself has spoken at great length about the respect a mother, a wife and a daughter should enjoy uh, in a Muslim household. And hijab also establishes matrilineal essence and the structure of the family and society. This is unbeknownst to a lot of people, but hijab and the purpose of hijab is also to uphold the sexual tension uh, between the spouses in a family unit, um, the modest dress is rooted in a uh, more general and basic issue, and furthermore, Islam also employs uh, the hijab dress code for both men and women. Uh, yes, we see a more prominent version as the head covering on women, uh, but there are laws and rules for men as well, um, which, as dictated in the Holy Quran. Uh, the difference between the kinds of coverings and the kinds of, uh, hijab that are respective to each gender is based on psychological differences. And this is something that, you know, media will never stress upon. It will always highlight the head covering, um, because the head covering has become this main issue and this problem for them, uh, because it is so visible, but Islam. actually has created a system which is known as the hijab and uh, for a Muslim woman, hijab is so much more than a piece of cloth on their head. Let's look at how mainstream media has really synonymized hijab with oppression and the removal of hijab as freedom. An example of this can be seen on this image here Where uh, you can just see a screenshot of the uh, headlines that pop up on Google, Google's first page. Um, It talks about how Masamini has galvanized, galvanized. The word choices used are very important to look at critically. You have demands for freedom must be heard. You have the spark that ignited a woman led revolution. And this is going on and on. And you can see how buzzwords. Like uh, women led, how freedom um, and galvanized are used time and time again to show a positive representation with the removal of the hijab. Whereas the voices of women, which are majority voices in Iran, are not at all showcased on why they love the hijab or why they have positive associations with the hijab. And so, This kind of bias is very problematic because people are seeing only one side of the narrative. They're not getting this balanced perspective and they're not understanding the issue at large. Um, If you uh, give a voice to the minority instead of the majority, um, you're highlighting only a segment of the population that is taking onus with something. Um, and that's really problematic because it helps shape opinions and views and disdain for for the hijab uh, in the public eye. And this hyper fear mongering has led to the othering of the Muslim woman. So the onus then is put on the Muslim woman to appease others uh, when they're the ones who are actually being uh, harassed and oppressed and discriminated against. And This is, what is it doing? It's feeding this culture of institutionalized Islamophobia, um, right? So we've all heard this saying, why don't you go home if you want to wear that? And it basically intrinsically places the Muslim woman as someone who doesn't belong in this secular society, which is supposedly uh, uh, meant to uphold religious freedom and expression thereof. And then you have this uh, idea of white feminism that is really a growing problem in the West, right? they, they put place themselves as people who are empowering women, but it is quite the opposite of that supporting the burning of hijabs and insulting what is sacred to Muslims worldwide. How is that empowering? That leads to more Islamophobia, more attacks against Muslims who do don the hijab. And what's the difference really between burning a cloth that signifies something greater and burning a a Quran, which is words on a paper. These are symbols that are sacred to Muslims and desecrating them um, has adverse effects on, on innocent people who are choosing to represent their religion visibly. I want to bring up a amazing book. It's called A Dying Colonialism by Franz Fanon. And in this book, Fanon argues that colonialism is psychological battle. And at the center of this battle is the Muslim woman. And destroying the covering of the Muslim woman in Algeria was a central method used in order to colonize land by imperialist powers. And this was carefully done. It was calculated, uh, uh, based on researchers, psychologists and, um, ethnologists. And it was really a political doctrine that used and weaponized the hijab against the Muslim woman in order to break down the culture of the society. I find that really interesting because it really shows you how powerful the hijab really is and why it is an issue time and time again, um, everywhere, The fact that the mainstream media outlets has been really obsessed with this issue since September should show you that, you know, they're really, really afraid of the hijab and they're afraid of the woman who wears the hijab. It is commonly known that uh, similarly, what Fanon describes in Algeria is happening in Iran. I mean, let's, let's get real. We can see how Benjamin Netanyahu describes the issue in Iran as one that they cannot conquer through physical battle, but they need to wage war psychologically and targeting the culture of the society through the use of propaganda.
1: ...has the, uh, something that Iraq doesn't have. Iran has, for example, 250,000 satellite dishes. It has uh, internet use. I once said to uh, uh, the, chair, the heads of the CIA, When I was Prime Minister, that if you want to uh, advance regime change in Iran, you don't have to go through the CIA cloak and dagger stuff. Uh, What you want to do is, uh, uh, is take very large, very strong transponders and just beam Melrose Place and Beverly Hills 2050 and all that into into Tehran and into Iran because that is subversive stuff. They watch it, the young kids watch it, the young people. They they want to have the same nice clothes at the same houses and swimming pools and so on. Uh, And that is something that is available in uh, forces, internal forces of dissension that are available in Iran, which is paradoxically probably the most open society.
0: As Fanon described, the motive for Algeria was to break down the society through the use of the hijab and the Muslim woman. We're seeing similarities between what's happening there and what is going on in Iran now. And how it's having negative repercussions for Muslims around the world. BBC Farsi has also admitted to using the hijab as a pretext for toppling the Islamic Republic of Iran, due to the recent unrest that we see in Massa Amini's campaign. <laughs>
2: در دیگه از اگر این اتفاق هم برای دختر قتل میکنه بهانه پیدا تا به بیان تو خیابون و انجام بدن این بخش هم درست هستش
0: and so we really you know as a society who is uh, you know privy to the nature of how media works and how narratives are shaped we really need to be critical and start thinking about how these kinds of stories are coming together, who's behind them, who's feeding them, the kinds of propaganda that's going on and the massive amounts of funding um, that is being put towards these kind of narratives uh, that are negatively impacting society today. Um, I want to bring up another study, which is called Islamophobia and media portrayals of Muslim women. Uh, which studied 35 years of New York Times and Washington Post reports. And it found that journalists are more likely to report on women living in the Middle East and in Muslim countries when their rights are violated, but they focus on women in other societies when their rights are respected. And so what the study shows is that the U.S. news media in specific is uh, propagating that Muslims are distinctively and inherently sexist. So if this is the case, you know, there's this kind of study and there's studies everywhere, um, that are showing what mainstream media is doing, how can we truly trust the system from the top down that is, is, is creating these kinds of stories, what kinds of things they put out there, the word choices, how do we trust? Anything is true. And we need to start questioning that or we're gonna get wrapped up in the propaganda as well. In order to truly further ourselves from this institutionalized colonialism and discrimination, as well as the fear mongering, we need to practice and employ cognitive delegitimization. And what that means is we need to really take a step back and evaluate the systems and the conditions we are living in and we are part of Uh, whether it's our friend circles, whether it's schools and social media and our community centers, we're all wrapped up in the system and we don't even know it. So when we look at societies and we look at progress and true freedom, how do we really assess which society is better than the other? You know, are there markers, are there definitions? What about if a society is more just, if a society is measured by how close to God they are, how uh, they value our religious beliefs, who gets to decide which society is more correct in the way they employ their laws? How is development measured? Is it who has the greatest army? Is it who is more just and equitable to its citizens? Is it how foreign policy is employed and bloodshed is minimized and how things are more developed when it comes to science and technology. And so these definitions really need to be taken into consideration when talking about the advancement and progress of a society. We can't just throw terms around and say, well, it's, uh, we have more freedom here to do whatever we want because we can remove the hijab and being less covered or having less clothing is not a great metric to gauge how advanced a society really is. What about the literacy rates? What about how educated societies? What about the prison systems? What about how many people have to be on welfare just to get by? These are all things that we need to take into consideration when making such a bold claim about, you know, what absolute freedom means and looks like. Let's bring up a new study. Um, As you can tell, I love studies and uh, you guys should too. So this study conducted by researchers at the University of Westminster uh, and published by the British Journal of Psychology studied British Muslim women who wear the hijabs, and they found that they have a better chance of having higher self-esteem and confidence in their body. 587 Muslim women were surveyed in England, addressing the frequency and conservativeness of hijab use, body image variables, and attitudes towards the media as well as beauty ideals. and. The women who wore the hijab had more positive body image, lower internalization of media messages about beauty standards and placed less importance on appearance than women who did not wear the hijab. And so now let's compare this with another study conducted in the United States that says that at age 13, 53% of American girls are unhappy with their bodies. And this grows to 78% by the time girls reach the age of 17. And I think we all can see, you know, where so- social media, uh, video, uh, videos like, uh, video platforms like Reels and TikTok and the kinds of content that is being pushed out there um, really uh, promotes this uh, body image insecurity, and it is having a mental health toll on young women. The same study shows that 45.5% of teens report considering cosmetic surgery and according to the Center for Mental Health Services, 90% of those who have eating disorders uh, and body dysmorphia are women between the ages of 12 and 25. These stats speak for themselves. And, you know, based on what I said earlier, what how is the progress of a society measured? Uh, and I really don't think it's based on how many uh, young women are struggling with uh, their self-esteem, with their confidence, with their uh, body. Uh, and really that is what is uh, the purpose of the hijab. Now, this doesn't mean that women with hijab who wear the hijab are not struggling with these issues. That's really not what it means. But, you know, the inherent purpose of the hijab is to protect society from such vices, vices of uh, of uh, object- objectification for the male gaze, vices of jealousy, of uh, being self-obsessed uh, and, and really uh, uh, trying to achieve that world where you are striving to get closer to God and the worldview is rooted in a freedom that is completely uh, opposing the values of uh, uh, of freedom that are espoused by uh, western values. Now I want you guys to look at the American dress code system too because this is something that's not frequently brought up uh, anywhere especially in these uh, articles written by mainstream media. You know, it's very easy to point fingers at other sovereign nations and dictate how they should live, what rules they should abide by, and this very oriental worldview that is, you know, we are more correct and you are wrong. And so I bring your attention to the Penal Code, chapter 43, which states that acts of public indecency, individuals who commit lewd acts in public any act of physical exposure that is deemed inappropriate for the public's view um, are subject to a violation of law and is illegal. So should we, you know, then say that this is immoral? Should other sovereign nations uh, uh, push a certain agenda on us and say, you know, the American society should not be uh, criminalizing public indecency, and everyone should be allowed to roam nude um, and without clothing. And you know, who really decides? Who decides what is too little and what is too much? And and if the definition is is created through the what the public deems appropriate, then shouldn't the same rule apply to a sovereign nation like Iran? who voted for Islamic law to rule the, the land in, uh, in a 99.8% referendum that voted for the system in 1979. Um, so I really just wanna point out this, this privilege and this uh, moral high ground that as Americans, we have, uh, you know, we're looking at the world with, because it's really affecting how, how we view people and how we view people's decisions and their personal uh, choices of uh, religious expression um, in the public. So, we've talked about how uh, the media has been at the forefront of uh, really uh, leading these anti hijab campaigns, relating the removal of the hijab uh, to freedom and touting it as a positive expression at the uh, expense of the uh, Muslim woman who chooses to cover herself with a veil. All of this uh, we find as Muslim women find ourselves in the middle of all of this where the hijab is continuously politicized. So let's break this down. Was Iran a great place before the 1979 revolution? Uh, or was Raza Pahlavi uh, a murderous and torturous regime leader? who banned many, many Muslim women from wearing the hijab. Many women were beaten and they were confined to their homes. They couldn't leave their homes. There was one woman who didn't leave for around seven years from her home. Um, there were women who were uh, oppressed. Uh, he was despotic and cruel. Um, and in the 8th of January 1936, the Raza Shah banned the Islamic veil And this caused for mass uprisings where, you know, women wanted to express their religious freedoms and the idea to uphold the veil, amongst other things from, you know, rampant poverty to the treatment of people. There is that famous Barbara Walters special where um, uh, Barbara Walters, a famous journalist, uh, interviewed the Shah himself, and uh, he openly stated that women are inferior. He said, women, when they're in power, are harsher than men, much, much more cruel, much more bloodthirsty, Um, you're heartless when you're rulers, uh, not to mention uh, with uh, her poisons and intrigues, you're schemers, you're evil, every one of you.
3: I'm quoting, Your Majesty, in a man's life, women count only if they are beautiful, graceful, and know how to stay feminine. You may be equal in the eyes of the law, but not in ability. You have never produced a Michelangelo or a Bach or even a great cook. You are schemers, you are evil, all of you. Oh, your majesty, you said all these things.
2: Not with the same words, uh-huh. no.
3: Well, the thought, you've never produced a Michelangelo or Bach or even a this great I cook. Yes, I have said. So you don't feel that women are, are, in that sense, equal, that they have the same intelligence or ability? Not so
2: far. Maybe you will become in the future. You can always have some exceptions here but, and there but yes but on the average I repeat again when have you produced the top scientists
3: Madame Curie that's one but well, we've, we've we've had a lot of trouble uh, getting ahead perhaps because of this point of view um, do you feel your wife is one of these rare exceptions
2: uh, it depends in what sense
3: well do you feel your wife can govern as well as a man
2: i prefer not answer
3: but you have made your wife <laughs> the regent of this country if you if you should die your wife beheads this country and yet you're not certain <laughs> that she can govern as well as a man
2: i can't say the reaction that she might eventually have under crisis. They, these are question, unanswerable questions. How do you want to... Well, I admire you
3: for your honesty, but what you are really saying is uh, women are nice in their place, nice, pretty creatures. You are a very pretty woman. Say something, Your Majesty. How do you feel when you listen to this? No... <coughs> I say, you know, it's, um, I don't think you really believe that. <laughs> because, um, well, after all, we, we don't want to start arguing again, starting to have the conversation about the difference between men and women. But um, what the men have done to the world, really, have they achieved something that today the world is perfect in every way? politically, economically, relations, contact, progress. So let us not put, uh, you know, just classify people.
0: There are pictures of women prostrating to the Shah. Um, and uh, time and time again, he's uh, said that women uh, are inferior. And so it's, it's just mind boggling to me how uh, so many articles quote this, uh, Pre-Islamic Revolution period as this great era of Iranian flourishing, uh, when it, this is someone who literally viewed uh, women as inferior to men, um, and uh, is really the idea of feminism in relation to this is just mind-boggling. And so, whether we like it or not, Iran is holding on to the essence of what it means to be. Uh, an Islamic country, for example, Saudi Arabia removed the hijab mandate in 2018 to be uh, more softer uh, in its westernized approach. And so no matter how we feel about Iran, one thing is clear and one thing is irrefutable is that Iran is holding firm to its values of what it means to be an Islamic country without worrying about, you know, Western imperialist dictates uh and just like we brought up earlier, every civilized society has a a, a mandated dress code that is seen as appropriate uh, in the eyes of the public and uh just like that, Islamic countries have to have the mandate of of hijab uh because it is governed by Islamic law now, whether or not how the enforcement needs to be carried out um that's r- r- this room for discussion that every sovereign nation has the ability to do with their own set of laws and their own worldviews. We also want to look at this comprehensive study conducted by Farce News, uh, which examines foreign-backed news outlets like BBC Persian, the Saudi-backed Iran International, and other Persian news outlets that were headquartered in Europe that reveal Um, there's an overwhelming amount of fake news that was published, uh, that, uh, that followed the death of Mahsa Amini, especially BBC Persian was at the forefront of this. And this includes falsification of news, distortion, inversion, um, exaggeration and reduction. You can look up all these, uh, reports, uh, on TMJ.News backslash Iran report, which breaks this down really well. Um, one person in particular, I want to bring up who is at the forefront of this anti-hijab, uh, battle is Masih Alinejad, who compares the hijab to the Berlin wall. Um, and so, you know, the only thing that I want to point out about this woman, um, who is not even someone who lives in Iran, she's, uh, you know, here in the United States and between 2015 and 2022. The U.S. Agency for Global Media actually paid Alinejad over $628,000 for her activities, which included instructing women in Iran to take videos in very specific ways to push forward this anti-government um, narrative and anti-hijab narrative. Um, so I'm bringing all these studies up and all these uh, you know, people up to show this connection. There's a web that's going on, and it's very much aimed at a Muslim woman and her hijab and is trying to um, showcase a very one-sided narrative to all this. The reason that, you know, hijab has been attacked for so long, you know, in the United States for 200 years um, and even more so back from the colonial time periods where, you know, this idea is propagated that for a woman to be successful um, in the political, social, and educational arenas she has to be less covered remove the hijab and 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 give up uh, a lot of these moral and ethical virtues um but you know we want to draw an example from all this right and let's compare uh between america and, and and a country like iran that you know mandates the hijab in terms of female progress let's focus on that specifically um And when you look at the literacy rate of female university students in Iran, it is much higher than males at 61%. The percentage of prisoners is at 3% of Iranian prisoners are females compared to 6.9% in the United States. The number of doctors is higher than male doctors in Iran. In 1979, the number of female doctors was at 3,500 and now it's at 66,000. So when we are looking at these numbers, we can see that you know progress and the society's development is rarely uh, ever uh, in relation to how much a woman covers or doesn't cover. You know, there is other faculties that need to be looked at when it comes to literacy rates, uh, prisoner systems, as well as you know how many women are really participating in society, in in flourishing the society, and in the strength of. Uh, of a society with good values. With all this said and done, we are seeing an intense rise in the Islamophobic cases around the world, discrimination, flagrant violations against Muslim women and their hijab. Uh, We're seeing the increased disrespect of scholars, uh, vandalism of mosques, uh there were women whose hijabs were pulled off in a peaceful march in um Great Britain uh where children were attacked as well uh and we a question we really need to ask ourselves is how is the twenty four seven coverage uh, of a local event happening abroad uh impacting residents and citizens here and if this whether this is responsible journalism or not Uh, I I personally believe it is undemocratic to uh, speak about an issue while ignoring the issues that are happening here at home. Given this backdrop, hijab very much is an act of resistance in and of itself. Hijab visibly brands a woman as Muslim. Uh, It makes her a target. And so she is at war with society. Whenever she decides to don the hijab, Um, It is an act of resistance against white feminism that espouses this fake sense of liberation and empowerment. And it is a form of resistance against uh, vices that are rampant in our society today, from hypersexualization to the objectification of the male gaze. Um, It is a symbol of authenticity. Uh, It is a symbol of faith and piety and self-respect. And hijab inherently is tied to our culture, our traditions, the traditions of our mothers and our family, and most of all, our religion. And when society and media is trying to have, have a sever these ties with our traditions and our religion and our belief systems, this is actually the foremost way uh, of uh, promoting cultural imperialism. Um, Against our set of beliefs, media today is in contradiction with itself. You know, when we we are equating women as freer when they are removing their hijabs, that actually takes away agency from women who choose to wear it uh, and are happy to wear it, which is many of us here in the United States. Um, and I want to bring up Fanon again, uh, which he writes beautifully in the same book. Um, Unveiling this woman is revealing her beauty. It is barring her secret, breaking her resistance, making her available for adventure. There is in it the European relation with the Algerian woman, the will to bring this woman within his reach, to make her a possible object of possession. This woman who sees without being seen frustrates the colonizer. There is no reciprocity. She does not yield herself does not give herself, does not offer herself. I think that's a beautiful way to put it, is that, you know, this act of resistance um, is so important uh, against cultural imperialism. And hijab then serves as a shield against all these uh, oppressive strategies to bring Muslim women down. Um, Dalia Mujahid eloquently said, hijab privatizes a woman's sexuality. I just want to ask you another question, though. I know you're the guy asking me. When you
2: talk about oppression, when we talk about oppression, I think that the concept's really important and interesting because oppression means the taking away of someone's power, right? What hijab does is it basically privatizes women's sexuality. That's essentially what it does. So what are we saying when we say that by taking away or privatizing a woman's sexuality, we're oppressing her? What does that mean? What is that saying about the source of a woman's power? We're saying that a woman is only strong if she's sexy in public? Yeah!
0: Did I get it? Yes! Yes! Yes. Um, so, you know, we must question that uh, privatizing a woman's sexuality is uh, not oppressing her because why would it oppress her when she uh, is uh, taking that active choice to feel liberated for herself. Um, and, you know, to, to conclude today's episode, we must question this feminism, narr- feminist narrative that uh, modern mainstream media is espousing. Um, it's filled with these ideas that are not new. This has been going on and, and ma- many Muslim women will attest to this and say, you know, this has been going on for so long. It's just heightened now. Uh, because of this, uh, you know, rigorous campaign post uh where it paints the Muslim man as the bar- uh, barbaric one and the Muslim woman as the one who needs to be saved from oppression. Um, and uh, it-, it is time really to say enough is enough. You know, we have to claim our narrative back and, and say that, you know, Muslim uh, women and Muslim identity. Uh, should not be weaponized in order to uh, justify uh, American wars abroad. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I'll catch you next time.